0: vulnerable to these designs. But the polls are really amplified for teens because of where they're at developmentally.
1: You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast episode number 372. Today we're talking about screens. What parents are missing with Emily Weinstein and Carrie James. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. So glad you're here. If you haven't done so yet, hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you've ever gotten any value from this episode or this podcast in general, please do me a favor. Go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. And it just helps the podcast grow more. It takes a few seconds, maybe a minute, And it makes a huge difference. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Hey, this is a really cool episode, part of a little screen mini-series, technology mini-series to go with episode number 370 with Dr. Victoria Dunkley. And today I'm sitting down with Drs. Emily Weinstein and Carrie James, Harvard-based researchers and authors of the new book, Behind Their Screens, What Teens Are Facing and Adults Are Missing. You may have listened to episode number 370 or hear the sensational news about tech stories and want to run away to a cabin in the woods with no internet and devices for your kids, right? Can there be any good news about kids and tech? So I'm so excited to give you this conversation with Emily Weinstein and Carrie James, the authors of Behind Their Screens, and I found out that there are actually hidden benefits to tech. And that the conversation should be much more nuanced and there's a lot of complexities. So we adults can get more curious and open-minded about kids and tech, and that's what we are going to do in this episode. So join me at the table as I talk to Emily Weinstein and Carrie James. Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three, Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. I'm excited about your book, um, Behind Their Screens, because you started with the idea that we have been misled and we have had researchers come uh, or, or psychologists and researchers come on this podcast and tell us, you know, the how damaging screen time can be for kids, especially kids who have issues and challenges like ADHD and, um, OCD and all these different challenges and, um, that the amount of time that they're on screen time is, is, is really can be, um, hugely damaging, but you saw your books telling us that this is, that a lot of the research is alarmist, that we have to kind of dive in a little deeper to understand this. So tell us, tell us about where you're, you're coming from and what you discovered,
2: Okay, well, um, I'm Emily, so I'm a psychologist. Carrie's a sociologist. Um, We're also, we're longtime researchers of this topic. We've been doing research on teens and screens for over a decade. We're also both moms. um, So we have a vested personal interest in this topic. And um, we recently had this amazing opportunity to work on a study where we collected perspectives from more than 3,500 middle and high schoolers across the United States living in very different contexts and communities, and they had very different perspectives on social media and screen time and cell phones. And um, this book is really about revealing what they had to say that they felt like they most wish adults understood. And we had so much fun working alongside youth and really breaking down for adults, um, what's myth, what's reality, and how to use the research to have better conversations with the teens in your
0: life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You mentioned a moment ago, Hunter, that um, that there's so much out there that's alarmist about the conversation around teens and tech, and it was just really helpful to slow our research down and to partner with young people to really hear from them about their experience. Emily made reference to this, but we recruited a youth advisory council, so we had young people working with us every step of the way to try to make sense of the data, and that just really us into the details in such an important way. The other thing I'll say is you mentioned like there's this alarmist discourse. Um, a lot of it is often about screen time and there are a couple of things that we learn learned that are really powerful when you really tune in to the particular and tune into details. And um, one is that screen time doesn't capture key differences in terms of what teens are doing on their screens or like differences across a given amount of time that they're on their screen and the kinds of activities they're engaging in. So we often use this blanket terminology of screen time when we look to reduce it without zooming into what are some of the details. And that's that's one uh, way in which listening to teens shed light on what was happening. But the other piece is that teens are really different in how they're feeling or responding to the different things that they're doing on their screens. And so teens are not a monolith. (laughs) They react differently. Some of them get sort of sucked into highlight reels and walk away from a time on Instagram feeling really lousy and others have a different feed where they have pursued interests and the algorithm is supporting those interests and they walk away feeling really good. So that's just to bring you into the ways in which talking with teens and hearing more about their perspectives and zooming into the particular helps, helps us um, sort of calm down some of the panic about screen time.
1: I know actually sometimes when I panic about my daughter and she'll be like, but mom, I was researching, like, you know, she really was like researching the kind of fish that she should have and her gold fish and t- her tank and the water and the acidity and all of these things. Like she's actually like, I mean, her, her YouTube feed is filled with like fish people and horse people. So it, it it's um, I I get a little worried, and then I I when I listen to her, when I talk to her, I I hear, you know, I I hear a story that is a little reassuring for me.
2: And exactly what you said, paying attention to what she's actually doing during that screen time and how she's feeling as a result of it—that is one of the key things that we found is just so important. And one of the things that's happened is that there is just this incredible, strong cultural narrative around the idea that just screens are bad. And I think many parents get in this loop of feeling like we should feel guilty whenever we're letting our kids be on screens and that the goal should be essentially wait as long as possible to get your kid a screen and then have them use as little as possible, um, hold out as long as you can. And gosh, like, there are complications of that approach too. And we are not, it's, we, we are not, this is not a book about the fact that we could be so reassuring and there are no problems. I mean, the whole book is about the things that are hard for teens. But mm-hmm. what we found was that actually the things that are hard are not necessarily the things that most adults assume. And that when we move beyond the screen time conversation, we actually get to pay attention to the difference between an hour of screen time where a teen is researching their goldfish tank or learning how to nail a skateboard trick and an hour of screen time where they're feeling really jealous of everyone else's summer vacations or um, or looking at really depressing content that's clearly bringing them down and having a negative effect. And those differences Matter so much. And so when we just gloss over them by saying, okay, one hour of screen time or two hours of screen time, we miss, we miss too much of what's going on in our kids' lives behind their screens.
1: So, so I, I get that and I, and I want to be like, yes, but then I also, I worry about screen time for me, right? Like I'm an adult and my, you know, and, and I worry about, you know, am I, am I getting sucked into my device too much? Am I not connecting with my peers too much? Like I worry about the other adults. Like when I go to the bus stop sometimes, like to pick up my daughter Instead of the adults hanging out, who you know, it's that you have to drive there. They're talking to each other. They're all in their cars, looking at their screens, and I find that sad and pathetic. And it's like, it's it's it's. I I worry that it's hurting us too. So if it's hurting us with kids whose brains are not as fully developed, you know, is there are harms that can come to them too.
0: Absolutely. We are all <laughs> pulled to our screens. Um, we, we know the pull. I mean, I, I remember during the
1: pandemic
0: and when we were all at home together, homeschooling, my husband and I both working. And at the end of the workday, um, my, my, um, my 12-year-old would come and try to pull me away from my computer, And I just wanted to do one more thing. And I I mean, we all feel that. Um, And it's really important to realize what are the particular features of apps and the technologies we use that make it so hard to to pull away. I mean, social media companies are very savvy at building in features like infinite scroll to make sure you never get to the end of a news feed or notification. There's notifications. There's a reason why they're red flags rather than blue or green, because red flags are really, you know, kind of alarming and you want to get rid of it. You want to see, and you also, it taps into that neural response mm-hmm. and curiosity. Like I want, I want to know who sent me a message. It could be something really, really important. So we're all vulnerable to these designs. Um, But the polls are really amplified for teens because of where they're at developmentally, because they're primed to be so uh, concerned about connection with their peers. and, And that's normal and important. They're concerned about validation from peers. And so we just really have to understand that the collision of tech with their developmental stage makes it even harder for them to pull away.
2: There's another thing that you named in your comment that is is really worth calling out and that we talk about in the book, which is this idea of um, what researchers sometimes call technoference, when technology is actually interfering with the qualities of our connections with one another and with our relationships. And one of the key questions when we say we have to move beyond screen time, it doesn't mean that the time we're spending doesn't matter. It means we have to get more specific about things like what are we doing on our screens? What are we not doing because we're on our screens, and how are we feeling as a result of it? What is an individual kid bringing to their screen experience that's maybe getting amplified? That's like the examples you were mentioning earlier, like their their own vulnerabilities and how those might be magnified. Um, those are all very real, and actually, it's not. We don't want to overlook those. In fact, what we want to do is look at them much more intentionally and recognize that there are times like technoference is absolutely crucial for us to pay more attention to. There are research studies pointing to the impacts it has on the quality of our parent-child relationships, on the qualities of our connection with our friends and our romantic relationships and partners. Um, and teens are super aware of this. We we talk in this book about this idea of um, the digital pacifier, which was something that uh, teens were telling us about, which was this idea of using your device for almost a kind of self-soothing. Um, because when you're in a social situation, and you feel kind of awkward, and you don't really know how to start a connection with someone or start a conversation, it's easier to just pull out your device and look like you're busy instead of look like you're awkward. And of course, this completely backfires in the sense that if I'm on my phone like this, you know, if I have my phone right in front of my face, it's even less likely that someone is going to approach me and start a conversation. And I've just made myself less accessible, not more. So that's kind of your example of the car line. I think that's a kind of screen time that is worth paying attention to because it's displacing the connection that you might otherwise have with other parents in the car line, maybe a moment of calm for yourself of kind of your mind wandering through other topics. Um, And that really does matter.
0: You know, um, one thing that we haven't named as we've talked, we've, we've gotten pulled in (laughs) to this conversation about digital habits is one of the big revelations from talking to teens is they actually worry about their digital habits too. So like listening to them and you know, it was much easier for them to tell us because we're not their parents and we weren't poised to take their (laughs) devices away, but they told us things like the app TikTok runs my life or I can't seem to pull away from social media. They really recognized that this was hard and they didn't wanna feel dysregulated they don't want to feel like their habits are out of control and so understanding that like laying there some of the real tensions that teens feel Tapping into that, I think, allows us, we often say that we're in an us versus them battle with our kids over screens. But if we recognize that we're all feeling worried about that poll, then we can convert that to an us and them battle. And so we can roll up our sleeves and think together about how to combat the the pull of the screen. And we have some particular things that we've learned about ways adults can go about this. Um, I'll just name one thing, and then, you know, maybe Emily can give voice to um, some other. Well, one is to actually talk about some of those persuasive design features we were talking about a moment ago, like infinite scroll and notifications. Um, There's actually... Talking about those features and highlighting them is actually an evidence-based practice. We have a couple of colleagues who ran a really interesting study where they talked with teens about persuasive design features, revealing the things that social media companies build into apps, but they also connected that conversation to values. They aligned that that discussion with the kinds of values um, that teens hold dear. And making those connections was really important. Adolescents don't want to feel duped. You know, they're really keen or or keenly aware of when someone's trying to manipulate them and undercut their sense of autonomy, which is a key value, or they value justice and fairness. And the idea that a social media company is trying to trick them tapping into that sense of unfairness can really embolden or motivate teens to address some of those habits, especially if we know that deep down they are really worried about these things.
1: That's uh, hopeful for me because I did make my daughters watch the documentary about social media that came out last year that I'm blanking on the name of it now, but I, I did the social I, dilemma is a social dilemma. Yes. I did say you have to watch this to educate them. And, you know, they yeah. grumbled a bit, but I'm glad that they are, at least we had this information and that, that, you know, that information about the persuasive design and, and things like that, because it sounds like what I'm hearing from you guys is that it, it's, it's similar to so many aspects of parenting where we don't want to get into that us versus them battle you know, that never helps anybody. It just creates resistance and then you don't have, you lose your influence, right? The more you use your power, you lose your influence. And so we wanna stay on the, we're on the same team side and then be able to use our influence for positive, you know, for the good. I I mean, that said, right? Like we, there are maybe some boundaries that we wanna hold. You guys are parents. Do you have, what are the boundaries? Do you have boundaries around tech, around phones and things like that, that you have with your kids or that you recommend after having all these conversations with teens? So my husband's had hair thinning issues for years, for a long time. It's not something he'd love to have. And he's done some things for it. But recently started using Nutrafol. And oh my gosh, we have actually seen quite a difference. Did you know that for women, hair thinning happens in approximately one in two women? And if you're among them, I want you to know that you're definitely not alone. It's normal, but it's not openly talked about. And going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. But you can join over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding, like my honey. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supplements support healthy hair growth from within by targeting root causes of thinning, including stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism, as they evolve throughout a woman's life. And while many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol's women's hair growth supplement for six months. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription required, free shipping, and automated deliveries to ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to nutrifol.com and enter the promo code Parenting. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrifol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Parenting. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code parenting. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains.
0: Emily, do you want to jump Yes, in is first? the short answer.
2: <laughs> okay, I'll start first. So I, Carrie and I, while we were doing this research, I'll just say we're parenting kids from zero to 17. So we have had the whole kind of spectrum of child development in our own household as we've been doing this. And I'm at the younger end of the spectrum. So I'll talk a little bit about the early childhood stage and then pass to Carrie for the tween and teen um, boundaries. So I'll say the first thing, which actually is relevant to early childhood, but also throughout development is that an uncomfortable truth is that we have to take a really hard look at our own tech habits and what we're modeling to our kids around the ways that we interact with devices. Um, Even from, I could not believe from the earliest ages, my daughter was so aware of when I was distracted by my phone, of when my eyes were on the screen. And this is actually something that is borne out by other research studies. Like you can watch these videos of these paradigms where kids watch are looking on trying to get their parents' attention while the parents' eyes are glued to the phone. And it's it's hard to watch. It feels painful. It's like kind of the the evolution of what was like early attachment research, if listeners are familiar with that. But um, imagine just like looking on at this little baby, like trying so hard to get their parents' attention and the parent just eyes on the screen. And the truth is that a lot of us, I think, fall into that category at one time or another where we're distracted and we're not connecting because of it. Um, So the first thing is that engaging with this research made me take a really hard look at my own habits and recognize that the pull of the screen is really strong and that sometimes it undercuts the intentions and values that I have around the kind of parent I want to be, um, which is present and engaged, especially like connecting, you know, connecting with connecting with my family. Um, so I started noting moments and times of the day when I was really vulnerable to falling into the kinds of tech habits that I didn't want. Um, one example is bedtime in my house. Like when it goes on into, you know, the second hour of (laughs) resistance and story 52 stories, I would find that I would start to get kind of curious, like what, what came into my email inbox and maybe I'm getting a little frustrated and, I would all of a sudden just like be like, oh, I'll just quickly check my email. But I really don't want to be a parent who is doing bedtime with little, little kids checking my phone and being on email. And so I realized that if I wanted to resist that pull, it actually wasn't enough to just say, I'm not going to check my phone. I had to leave my phone downstairs or outside of the bedroom so that it was not physically within my arm's reach. Um, and that's just an example of recognizing like we know the design features are powerful and the pull of the screen is strong. And so we have to make like behavioral changes to our setup to align our family life with the kinds of things we want for it. That's just one example for mm-hmm. me. Carrie, do you want to?
1: jump in I think that's so important like Um, though I want to thank you for that example because it's so practical and that and that we think we have this like all-encompassing willpower and I can just be like oh yeah I won't pay attention to it but we have to get real with ourselves like no I actually you know need to leave it downstairs so you know I'm not like you know all our phones in our house are downstairs at night so nobody like gets up and is like oh let me look at this thing right like we have to be practical about our limitations
2: And Hunter, we can actually level up the impact of those kinds of changes when we name them out loud and we kind of narrate our thought Mm -hmm. process, especially as kids get older. Um, Naming the pull we feel and then the strategy we're using to try and mitigate it Mm -hmm. and our value is actually a way to help our kids develop mindful awareness about normalizing the pull of the screen and then normalizing the fact that we all have to take steps to manage life with this. So um, even, you know, even with my three-year-old, I'll now say like, oh wow, I'm feeling really distracted by my phone today, but I really want to focus on this game. So let me go put it in the, you know, in the kitchen or let me put it on airplane mode. And she doesn't have a phone and she doesn't really know what airplane mode is, but I want her to grow up knowing that it's okay to feel the pull, but it's also really important for us to do things that help connect and make sure that we're avoiding the techno-fearings as much as we can.
0: I
1: love that. Thank you.
0: So what Emily, even though my children are older, so I have a um, 12 year old, she'll be 13 in December and a 17 year old. um, Some of what Emily has named is still really relevant. Okay. So um, the one thing I'll say is that, you know, my kids, as I just named are different ages and age really matters in terms of like how much parental monitoring Um, I have felt is appropriate. Um, Emily and I are big fans of the principle of gradual release. As kids generally get older, the idea that, you know, they deserve more privacy and autonomy. And so it may um, start out that you're doing much more oversight. Um, The key thing is that you're letting them know, like, yes, I'm going to take your phone and I'm going to look at your messages. Being really transparent about what you're doing for oversight and why is really, really important, knowing that this is like, this is an open conversation, and we're going to revisit this as time goes on as you get older. Um, So age is one element of it. But the other thing is tuning into your kids' um, areas of vulnerability and their strengths, and just sort of who they are. My kids are not only different in age, but they're really different kids. So my younger kid is, um, you know, she doesn't communicate you know, very openly. She's really a closed book. So I'll ask her, how was your day at school? And I get like the shrug and maybe two words, if that. So open-ended questions where I want to like find out, like, what are you looking at? How are you feeling? I mean, this is not, they they don't go anywhere. They they fall flat at best. Um, So some of what Emily was describing about naming out loud, some of the things that I'm seeing as I look at social media and some of the sort of normalizing the um, concerns that I have, like, oh, gosh, on Instagram, everyone looks like they're having li- living their best life, having such a great time. That really can't be true, can it? And so I know that my 12-year-old, even though she won't talk to me so much in an elaborate way, she's listening to what I have to say. And so, you know, using that move of naming the polls I feel and t- speaking out loud about some of the questions I have and stresses can be really effective. My older child is, is really an open book. And so, and, you know, I've had to, um, wait, let me say that again. <laughs> um, yeah, my older child is more of an open book, and that has meant that the way in which I digitally parent her is quite different. I can ask her a lot of open-ended questions and she's much more frank with me. I know that she will come to me if she faces thorny issues or dilemmas. She has many times. That has Mm -hmm. meant that that sort of more intentional monitoring that I do for my younger child fell away earlier for Ella, my older child, because I knew that I didn't need to look over her shoulder in order to have her back, because I knew that she would come to me. I was on the lookout, you know, as we all are as parents for any signs of stress or emotional strain. And I knew that if I asked her, she would nine times out of 10, let me into what was happening. Um, And so I calibrated my um, parenting of her, including her tech life, accordingly.
1: I, I, I love that because dear listener, what Carrie's speaking to, is the quality of the relationship was strong enough, right? Too that, and and her, that particular daughter is open enough that. But it speaks to the quality of relationship, which is important if you're when your kids are young to build those connections and listen to all those boring stories about My Little Ponies and whatnot, so that they'll actually talk to you about the important stuff later. Um, we're going to get to some of the problems that the kid that the teens and are are pointing out that when we when you listen to them and hear about them. But I want to know about like you know we we get. This we get a lot of scary information, you know. We worry a lot. Are there benefits uh, of technology? Technology benefits that we're overlooking that we should be paying attention to in in this conversation.
2: Yes. Um. So so they vary a lot from one kid to another, and some kids are really tapping benefits of tech, and others have much more of the sort of negative side of the equation like if we think of it like a seesaw for some kids it really tilts toward the positive and some kids it really tilts toward the negative and some it's both are weighted um, but some of the positives that we hear about that we know really matter are um feeling socially connected and socially supported really important in adolescence in general for for kids feelings of well-being to feel connected and supported to um by others and there are Kids and teens for whom actually like staying connected to cousins who live far away or to friends from summer camp, those are really important positives and they make teens feel like I'm getting closer with these people and I'm not as isolated. Um, there are obviously ways that social media gives us the complete opposite experience in some cases and for some people. So that's not to overlook the ways that can lead us to feeling disconnected, but the social upsides can be extremely meaningful. And especially if you have a kid who is struggling to feel connected to friends in person, maybe they struggle with some anxiety socially and it's hard for them to build relationships. If they are using discord or Snapchat or whatever it is to um, feel like they can express themselves and build those relationships. And you feel like that is a good thing. Like you are right. Don't, don't overlook that gut instinct. That can be, that can be really meaningful. We also have loved hearing from kids in our, from teens in our studies about the ways that they geek out about things that they're passionate about through their digital lives. Um, and interests really vary. I mean, you talked about the example earlier of your daughter, like investigating her goldfish tank. And I I have so many stories like that top of mind of, of teens who were really into fixing cars and were like following all these Instagram accounts that taught them how to do car repairs or how to do a certain skateboarding trick. Or like, I'm thinking of a teen who was like, I'm secretly very into antiquing, um, and the list just goes on and on. Like art techniques, and so I think that's another huge positive. I mean, developing interests and mastery around skills and interests is actually another really important contributor to self-esteem and and to well-being. And many teens are using social media around that. Book talk is another great example where teens are using TikTok to like source book recommendations and provide their own book reviews. Um, so those are those are two big ones that come to mind for me, Carrie. What about for you?
0: Well, definitely, um, and this cuts both ways. It's a double-edged sword. But the opportunity to lean into civic and political interests that young people have this has been a long time um, area of interest for Emily and me. Which is how social media and um, and young people's civic inclinations really intersect with one another, how they use social media to learn about certain causes and to speak out on things that they care about and even get involved in mobilizing people, setting up petitions or organizing rallies and using social media as a space to, um, to get people involved, even engaging in conversations. There is certainly, as I mentioned before, an underbelly to this. It can be really challenging, but we know that from talking to enough teens, that there are enormous empowering upsides to using social media for civic purposes.
3: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff, play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that. I mean, you know, as I've talked to some people about some some things, dangers around tech and screen time, one of the things that, you know, that I've seen as a positive in my kid's life is, is um, well, it, not the civic thing, but my, you know, my daughter keeping – you know, that's friendship uh, with her best friend who lives a half an hour away and they've been friends since they're 18 months old, you know, and, and she they play Minecraft together and talk the whole time, you know, and, and I, I, to, in my mind, that's clearly a positive. They're doing something that's, you know, creative that they're into and they're doing it together. And often the little sister will kind of sit in on, and they all hang out, the three of them, because of this, the, the ability to do this, because of the technology.
0: Absolutely. I mean, uh, and my, my older daughter was a big Minecraft uh, fan as well. Uh, And funny, she drifted back into it during the pandemic, she got really involved again. And, and what's so interesting, it's such a creative space. But what's really interesting about gaming is that it often becomes so much more than like the app or the game, it becomes a place where, you know, kids are connected like your daughter and and her friend. Um, And they're often, you know, they're playing together, but they're probably on audio in some way, whether they're using discord or using the phone to connect while they're on the phone, while they're on the computer playing a game. Um, And they drift into talking about really meaningful things like things that may be like stressing them out or upsetting them. We had one teen in our study talk about how he, um, you know, connected with a whole bunch of gamers and set up this special dedicated discord channel to just like talking about um, things that were on their minds that were hard and sharing advice for one another. And it started with gaming, but it became so much more.
1: That's so cool. Okay, so there's some benefits that we shouldn't overlook. What are the things we should be worrying about? And what are some of the dangers that maybe teens are are hesitant to tell their parents about?
2: Well, we talked about habits, which is definitely mm-hmm. a big one, helping around the pull of the screen and setting boundaries that really support healthy, healthy habits is a big one. Um, another thing that teens told us they really wish adults better understood, that was a pain point, is around the complexities of being a good friend in an age of social media. Um, Many of us are alert to the idea that there is an adolescent mental health crisis in, in our country. And... Uh, another a hidden sort of component of the reality that we have more teens struggling with anxiety and depression is that um, we also have teens who are not struggling, who are more likely than ever to have friends who are, and those friends are often struggling in public or semi-public ways on social media, maybe crying out for help or expressing their distress. And um, many teens are in this tricky position of having to figure out the boundaries around what it means to be a good friend when you see someone maybe in your peer group who's crying out for help or who's posting in a way that seems concerning. They also have to figure out what should I do when I wanna maybe disconnect at night for my own self-care but I have a friend who's saying, I need you. Um, and of course, developmentally, friendships are so important to adolescents. And one of the things that we really appreciated in in hearing from teens is that um, adults might might just say things like, "Oh, you're so addicted to your phone," or "Just you have such unhealthy tech habits." But can sometimes feel like this pull between disconnecting for their own self-care and wanting to be there and be available for friends in need. And sometimes that need is a lowercase n. It's something that like isn't a real emergency, you know, like it, they're they're navigating some micro drama of their day and they just you know they want to be in it with their friends but other times it's a real capital end need and it's something that would be hard to manage at, at any stage of life and it's even more so because it's really this burden of being a good supporter that's on very young shoulders
0: listening I think to gene Jean... oh, oh go ahead hunter
1: I was just gonna say I don't think that's something that we think about so much as one of the challenges of tech. You know, I really appreciate you bringing that up. This idea of like being a supportive friend, uh, you know, and and these are the channels in which kids are supporting each other. We
2: started to realize that there are so many ways that. You know, often there's this narrative that technology is undercutting empathy and it's making a, it's making us or making kids more narcissistic, less empathetic. And one of the things that was so interesting to us, and frankly, that challenged our own assumptions was really confronting the reality that for empathetic teens, um, it is actually their empathy that is underlying some of the things that are hardest for them about navigating social media and figuring out how to set boundaries. And Adults can probably relate to this on some level. Like if you have a friend who has been more needy than you feel comfortable with, or even a colleague or a boss who emails you and expects an immediate response, um, their kind of their norms can can give you a sense that that response time is is reasonable is expected and it can give a real sense of pressure on you, and you're an adult, so you can imagine how that's magnified for for teens who care deeply about their friends and being a good friend and also are are still developing a lot of the strategies around how to communicate and set boundaries
0: productively. Tuning into that. Um that pain point around um around empathy and around really friendship dilemmas and that sense of pressure to stay connected to friends you know if A friend is, as Emily was describing, struggling with a mental health issue or just feeling like you need to stay connected in order to preserve the friendship and make sure that it doesn't fall apart. We heard these really powerful quotes from from teens who felt like they couldn't they couldn't step away or. Their friends would, quote, find the dumbest excuse to cut you off. And, you know, that feeling of vulnerability and the importance of friendship at that age cannot be it cannot be overstated. Um, Some of this, especially around the. the tension about being there for a friend who's struggling versus disconnecting for self-care really animated some of the work that we've done in building educational resources. So we've collaborated really closely with uh, Common Sense Media and they've developed a whole suite of of resources for schools. Um, And most recently we've worked with them on a couple of different resources that were key to particular dilemmas that we knew we heard from teens in our research they really struggle with. Um, and so this dilemma around finding boundaries when you feel like you need to be there for a good friend, but you can't always be there is really hard. And so we developed this thinking routine or this scaffold um, for teens to think about such scenarios, um, figure out what they might want to do, how they might want to communicate with their friend that they um, that they care, but they need to disconnect and actually practice some language for doing that, because that can be a big barrier. There can be the desire to set a boundary. But we know even as adults, like stepping up and actually saying what you need to say and saying it in a kind but clear way can be really tricky. And so we've designed some supports that we hope will help with that.
1: That's so cool. Um, and where where can people find that if they're interested?
0: They can find that on the Common Sense uh, Media website. Happy to share a link that you can attach to this podcast.
1: Awesome. That sounds great. And for your listener, Common Sense Media is a great resource, if you are not already using it, for look, checking out your early 80s movies, early 90s movies before you watch them with your kids to remember
0: sounds like a lesson learned hunter <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah they they do a great job with ratings and reviews but they also offer so much more and one of the one of the something more pieces is this really incredible curriculum that Carrie and I have had an opportunity to work on that's totally free and available for schools and teachers um, I think there are now over 70 or over 75 different lessons that really work on all different aspects of digital well-being digital citizenship Um media literacy and developing the skills and dispositions to navigate life in a digital age.
1: That's great. Well, um, Emily and Carrie, your book, Behind Their Screens, goes into so much more that we don't have time to dive into today. Thinking about sexting and why people do that is one of the things that you might be interested in learning about, dear listener. There's there's so much um, in here. Well, I'm and I really appreciate the the nuance of this conversation that you know you're offering uh, us ways to work with this thing that is here to, to sort of stay in our lives, right? Like that we're not gonna just most of us aren't just going to run off to the woods and like turn off our internet and and we do kind of have to work with it and i and i appreciate the 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 complexity and the nuance of this conversation to kind of work with seeing the benefits as well as some of the challenges and and i just want to you know give you a shout out for for that that nuance thank you thank you hunter i think Carrie and I feel
2: so motivated to to share this work and to tell the stories because one of the big things that we came away with from this research was just a sense that actually our kids really want and need our help and that parents often feel like if we don't understand all the details of the latest technology, we don't even know how to start. It feels so overwhelming. And I mean, Carrie and I have both been there and also we believe so deeply that you have wisdom that your kids want and need when it comes to figuring out how to navigate this landscape and um, showing up for these conversations in a way that actually helps teens open up to you and that helps them get the support they need. It does require a pivot. We have to challenge some of our own assumptions and enter the conversations with a slightly different tone. Um, something really concrete that you can try this week is uh, we, we often find that adults have this impulse to start conversations with what is hard or what's negative about technology we ask questions like um, like is TikTok bad for your mental health, or is Instagram making us all really anxious? Or why are you so addicted to your phone? Um, A very simple pivot that you can try is actually starting with a question about what's positive or what kids like about technology. Really focus on trying to get a teen level view from your teen on why it is that they actually like using this stuff when they like it, if they like it. Um, So we ask questions like, can you tell me about some of the best parts about growing up with technology or who are you following on whatever platform who makes you feel really inspired when Mm -hmm. we signal to teens that we get that there are upsides to them and that there are positives we can then move into the exact same conversation we were going to have about the negatives but we do it with a totally different tone
1: yeah i love that that's incredible advice i mean yeah we want to feel like we're seen and heard and and there's something to appreciate before we go into the difficult stuff that's awesome thanks emily well, thank you guys both for this conversation. I appreciate it so much. Um, it, is, is there anything we missed at all that you want to leave the listener with besides that? I love that idea of the pivot in our attitude. I appreciate that. Hunter, thank you so much for having us. And I mean, yes, there is more we want to share. and We hope that
2: people will check out the book. We had so much fun um, writing this book and really revealing what teens want their parents to know about tech habits, about social comparison, about friendship dilemmas and group chats, about performative activism, sexting culture, um, digital footprints. So we hope that people will check out the book and that, that they will use it to feel inspired to have better and different conversations with the kids in their lives.
1: Well, thank you both so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know we had some tech issues, so you've taken double the time to come on the Mindful Mama podcast, so I I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Well, I hope this episode helped you to breathe a sigh of relief screens. Oh, it's such a challenging issue in this day and age. I know. I know I know. I'm in it too. Hey if you appreciate this episode, please do me a favor, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me in it at mama mentor. And you may as well follow me there and fill your feed with some mindful parenting inspiration. And I hope you're having a great week my friend. I hope you're having some ease and peace and joy. I'm gonna go for a walk with my daughter after this. I'm gonna pull her outside and we're going for a walk. So, yeah, let's let's go for some hikes with our kids if we can. Yeah, wishing you all those wonderful things this week. I can't wait to be back and connect with you again next Tuesday. And I hope you're well. Thanks so much for listening. Namaste.